Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to episode number 161 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline, and we're back with you again to break down what we saw in week 10 of the college football season and take a look ahead to the key NFL draft matchups of week 11. Every conference is finally back playing football now, at least the ones that are playing this season, but it seems like it's come with a little bit of a trade-off as the second wave of COVID-19 continues to rage across the country. We've already lost four SEC games this week, including one we were planning to preview in Tennessee and Texas A&M. Also lost Alabama, LSU, and Georgia, Missouri. Ohio State and Maryland got canned as well. So we're not going to get to see if Talia Tagabeloa can keep up his momentum from the past two games. Tony, is this going to affect draft stocks for these teams and the players on them? I don't think it's going to affect draft stocks, although there would have been some real nice matchups, you know, to, to keep an eye on. I'm especially Alabama LSU does not have the same panache that it's had in recent years. I mean, that game was always pointed to as who was going to win the SEC West and have the upper hand getting to the SEC title game and make their way through the championship game. Obviously LSU after winning the championship last year has been, has been uh, awful this year, but still, I mean, really would have liked to see the matchup between Mac Jones throwing the ball to Devonta Smith with Stingley, the cornerback from LSU uh, guarding uh, Devonta Smith uh, would have been an outstanding matchup to watch. Stingley probably would be the uh, top rated cornerback in this year's draft if he was eligible, but he's just a true sophomore and he's not eligible yet. Uh, and even, you know, when he has bad games, he's really, really good. Uh, that would have been a terrific matchup to watch. Uh, a couple others, uh, you know, Georgia at Missouri, uh, Nick Bolton from uh, Missouri, the linebacker, I'm told is going to enter the draft. Would have been nice to see him match up against that Georgia rushing game, which is the strength of that offense, in part because the uh, because the passing game has been so bad. You know, you mentioned uh, to his younger brother at Maryland, been playing well. I think the Ohio State game would have been, a, you know, would have been a, a marking point for him or something to keep an eye on. Although he, again, he's a guy who's not draft eligible, like Stingley. And then the Texas A&M uh, Tennessee game, we got some uh, players on the interior interior defensive lineman, interior offensive lineman, that would have been a good matchup to watch. Yeah, I mean, we watched Trey Smith struggle earlier this season when he went up against Georgia with Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt on the inside. I mean, Bobby Brown III has been playing pretty well for Texas A&M. Would have been interesting to see if Trey Smith could have a better game against kind of a similar guy to Jordan Davis, a bigger, more powerful defensive tackle. Um, you know, obviously Trey Smith didn't impress us in our eyes, but maybe he would have had that chance this week. You know, we'll see if this game ends up getting rescheduled later in the season. It's only postponed rather than canceled as of right now, which is a definite thing to kind of delineate there. It can be rescheduled. Hasn't been yet. And, you know, we'll see if we can get any of these games at a later date. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, Bobby Brown is a guy who, if you follow the game day blog at uh, Pro Football Network, someone I've written about, especially last week. I mean, he is an explosive interior guy. I, I don't think he's as... Athletic is Jordan Davis. You're not going to see him make as many plays outside the box. But if you're looking at, 
at sheer quickness and power up the field. I think that would have been a, uh, a real good battle for Trey Smith and even Cade Mays, uh, the Tennessee junior guard who made his way back onto the field, who gets some chatter in scouting circles. Now we'll get right into today's show in just a moment after this word from our sponsor. The NFL season, along with the college football season, is in full swing, Tony. And while you may not be at the game this year, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. With the Jets losing again, Adam Gase remains the favorite to be the first coach fired. Still long odds on the Jets going winless, but I mean, looking at their schedule, really no patsies left. Even the Chargers at two and six are a good football team, just losing games late in typical Chargers fashion. Where are they going to find a win, Tony? I don't think they will. I mean, you know, it, it all starts at the top and Adam Gase, not to be offensive and for lack of a better term, is just not a winning head coach. So uh, but then again, these are the Jets, and I could see them going on a three-game winning streak at the end of the season and losing the first pick of the draft. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Now this week, we're going to go on the record and discuss Florida quarterback Kyle Trask coming off really just a demolition of an elite Georgia secondary last weekend, albeit one without safety Richard LeCount. But Trask lost stud tight end Kyle Pitts early on in that game after just two catches, and he didn't miss a beat. 30 for 43, 474 yards, four touchdowns, one interception on the year. 22 touchdown passes, three interceptions, at least four touchdown passes in every game this season, a true breakout in every sense of the word. He's almost to his 2019 total of 25 TD passes in fewer than half the games. Now on the record, we've previously discussed another breakout quarterback in BYU, Zach Wilson, and whether we would draft him or Trey Lance. But this week's question, when it comes to breakout QBs, Tony, will Kyle Trask push all the way into the first round of next April's draft? It's going to be very difficult, and I'm going to say no for a couple of reasons. I mean, number one, the past 20 years, there's only been one year, 2018, where you had five quarterbacks selected in round one. And while I like Trask, and Trask is a guy that has made a monumental move up draft boards, he was considered entering the season by most scouts as a late-round pick. The fact is he's not as mobile as teams want in a quarterback these days. He's more of a pure pocket passer, almost a throwback. Love his game. You know, you mentioned the Georgia game. It was a terrific game for Trask because he lost his top receiver, Kyle Pitts, early in the game. And all he did was spread the ball around to 10 different receivers, used all of his other targets. So he shows the ability to improvise. I just think that the fact that it's tough to get five quarterbacks in the first round, I think the fact that he lacks the mobility. I am also at this point in time a bit wary about the pre-draft process for 2021. Are we going to have a senior bowl? What's going to happen with the combine? What's going to happen with pro days? I think all of those things would really benefit Trask. I don't know that he's going to have the availability or the uh, ability to participate in all all those things. So where we stand today, November 11th, as we we, uh, taped this podcast on Veterans Day, I'm going to say that Kyle Trask is not a first round pick in the 2021 draft. And I'm going to have to agree with you again, Tony. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to disagree as I, as I try to do whenever I can, but I, I can't see him sneaking into the first round. You mentioned the 2018 draft, the guy who snuck in at the end 
that someone traded up for was Lamar Jackson. Now there couldn't be two different quarterbacks between Lamar Jackson and Kyle Trask. Obviously you mentioned the lack of mobility. I mean, he's functional within the pocket, you know, think of a guy and and this is not a direct comparison, but think of a guy like Tom Brady, he's not going to hurt you scrambling, but you know, he moves well within the pocket, creates space for himself, but he's not that mobile. He's not going to get outside the pocket. He's not going to make plays. I mean, even Joe Burrow last year, if we want to talk about late round prospects climbing into top 10 and obviously in Burrow's case, the number one overall pick, Burrow can move a little bit. He's a good athlete. Uh, Kyle Trask is not, I mean, you know, the way he throws the football, you know, with touch, his ball placement, he's got enough arm when he needs it. He really doesn't fire passes in very often when he has to, he does, but he just understands the idea that he throws an anticipation. He puts touch on passes. He puts it where his receivers can run after the catch. He does have that prototypical size we talk about. I mean, he's six, five, probably almost 250 pounds, but you know, that's the prototype from 10, 15 years ago. It's not the current prototype, which is a slightly smaller guy who can move, who can escape. I mean, even if you look at, you know, the 2018 class, the guy who really hasn't worked out out of the five, you know, jury is still out obviously on, on Sam Darnold. Um, but Josh Rosen is kind of a sloth in the pocket. Um, might not even have the natural, you know, arm or anything like that, that Kyle Trask had. Uh, but, you know, Rosen hasn't worked out. And I think teams are kind of starting to learn from players like that who just can't escape the rush in the NFL. And, you know, people talk about offensive line play deteriorating. I think the reality is just the best athletes now play on the defensive line. The offensive linemen just can't compete with some of these guys. The quarterbacks really have to bail them out often. And Kyle Trask is not the type of player that's going to bail out his offensive line in a scenario where they're completely overmatched. And and even though quarterbacks are, you know, usually overrated and overdrafted. Again, it's going to be tough to get five quarterbacks in the first round. And when you look at the other four guys ahead of Trask, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, I mean, they all have that great mobility. They can all, they're all dangerous running with the ball, you know, just not only pick up yardage with the ball, but be able, being able to create yardage when they're carrying the ball. So, you know, again, Trask deserves a lot of credit. There's still some season left. Uh, it's still time for him to, to improve his ever-improving draft stock. But I just think when you break it down and you look at all the intangibles, it's going to be very tough for him to end up in round one. Now, moving on to our reviews of Week 10's action, starting with the Pac-12. Welcome back to late night West Coast football, everybody. <laughs> Although this USC-Arizona State game was a noon kickoff, 9 a.m. on the West Coast. USC allowed 17 unanswered points, ended up being down 27-14, but... The Trojans scored twice in the final three minutes to pull out an exciting 28-27 win. The matchups we were watching in this one, Trojans wide receivers Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughns against Sun Devils cornerbacks Jack Jones and Chase Lucas. Also wide receiver Frank Darby for Arizona State, but he left early with a rib injury. Now you would have figured big numbers for St. Brown and Vaughns this season and in this game with Michael Pittman gone to the NFL. But sophomore Drake London is the one who really stole the show. Eight catches, 125 yards, and one touchdown, including the game-winning touchdown with over a minute left. 6'5", with great athleticism. Plays basketball for USC, too, but we're going to stick to the draft-eligible guys here. St. Brown, seven catches for 100 yards. Really fun battles in this one against Jones, as we projected last week. That was the matchup to watch in this game. St. Brown showed off his smooth athleticism, his natural receiving skills, but really Jones limited him to underneath catches, did give him too much cushion at times. Jones dealt with some cramping as well, maybe because of that 9 a.m. start we mentioned. And when he was out with cramps, 
St. Brown got loose for a deep catch up the seam. But otherwise, Jones kept him to just short passes. I don't want to say that Jones necessarily won the matchup, but really more than held his own against a guy projected to go way higher than him in the draft. Vaughn's had seven receptions for 53 yards, showed off good catch radius, caught a bunch of screen passes, one that he turned into a nice game before Chase Lucas actually chased him down after he was blocked initially out of the play and slapped the ball out to force a fumble. Lucas also did a good job slowing Vaughn's release off the line when he lined up in press coverage, showed good closing speed as well. Certainly possible that a big part of London's big game in this one, in addition to his own physical skills, was the play of Jones and Lucas on both St. Brown and Vaughn's. Yeah, I mean, Vaughn's was really not much of a factor at all. St. Brown wasn't really a factor until the end. Uh, Those last two touchdown drives where he had a couple of receptions. Number one, this was just a fun game to watch. I mean, it was a really enjoyable game to watch. As we talked about, 9 a.m. kickoff on the West Coast. Uh, I thought Jack Jones played very well. I I think he had, you know, a bit of an edge to him because of the fact that he started his career at the USC. He was dismissed from the uh, dismissed from the program. Uh, So I I think he wanted to make a statement. And early on, even the announcers were talking about the uh, the battle between him and uh, St. Brown, which got very chippy at times. I mean, very chippy. They were hitting during the play. We're hitting after the whistle. And I thought that Jones really did did a good job and and established himself you know as i said last week you know he's got solid ball skills he's got next level speed but he's just not the biggest guy in the world and he's going to get overmatched by larger receivers so i think he's going to be a good dime back maybe a nickel back someone you can place in zone someone you can place over the slot receiver uh but i thought he he did a good job uh saturday uh, against usc chase lucas he's a little bit bigger he's a little bit physical struggles making plays with his back to the ball uh, when you compare him to Jones. So I think he's more of a guy that you're going to have to play him solely in a zone uh, type of system. I think Jack Jones is a seventh, maybe sixth round guy. I think Lucas is a seventh, maybe free uh, priority free agent. But I thought that both of the uh, Arizona cornerbacks did, did really well against the both USC receivers. One that wasn't, you know, uh, really wasn't a factor in the game. And the other one in St. Brown, who really didn't do anything until late in the game when USC came back and eventually became victorious. Now, staying in the Pac-12, Washington State topped Oregon State 38-28. to The only real prospects of note in this game for each team faced off often Beavers pass rusher Hamaka Rashid Jr. and Cougars tackle Abraham Lucas. And like his team, I declare Lucas the winner here, which wasn't necessarily what we expected going in. But Lucas plays with a good wide base. Did a surprisingly good job sliding out to the edge. Really, when him and Rashid were next to each other, he looked absolutely massive. He was dominant in close quarters. Didn't let Rashid or anybody else get out of his grasp once they were in it. Not a guy who's going to get out to the second level effectively, but otherwise looked very good. Didn't face Rashid on every down, but really only two tackles in this game for Rashid. Really struggled to get off blocks. Showed almost no power or strength. Missed a tackle on a botched read option play where he really had Jaden Delora dead in the backfield, turned into a short touchdown run. Really not a good performance for a guy who apparently needed to repeat his monster 2019 to impress NFL scouts. Yeah, a guy who, when I, if you listen to our preview, I think he's got second-day potential. Scouts graded him as a fourth-rounder. I mean, he played like a seventh-round pick on, on, uh, on Saturday night. And Abraham Lucas is not the most athletic or most agile guy. I mean, he's more of a small-area guy. You would have thought that Rashad could have exploited him. Didn't happen. I, I mean, he was washed out of the play time after time. As you said, just two tackles, 
a non-factor from a guy that was expected to have a big season. Now it's the first game of the year. A lot of these guys, uh, you know, have not had a lot of football activity as we've seen early on. It's primarily been the offense that has been winning out in these games, especially early on in the season. And this was the first PAC 12 game of the year. We'll see what happens with Rashad. We'll just see if this was first game rustiness or if this is the shape of things to come. Hopefully it's the former. Over to the Big Ten now, where three weeks into conference play, Penn State looks bad. 0-3, last-minute loss to Indiana that we discussed two weeks ago, which is fine. Indiana's a top-10 team right now, a reasonable loss to Ohio State the following week. But this past weekend, got crushed by Maryland, 35-19. And Maryland, keep in mind, lost its opener by 40 to Northwestern. From the top-10 to 0-3 in three weeks, and even this game wasn't as close as the score for Penn State, the matchup we were watching, Terps left tackle Jalen Duncan against Nittany Lions outside linebacker Shaka Tony. Tony, kind of like Rashid in the last game, just a non-factor. Didn't produce one stat all game. Didn't provide much in the way of pressure either. Too many times he tried to bull rush Duncan or win with power, which is a battle he's never going to win because Duncan is a guy, plays with a very strong anchor. He's hard to move off his spot. Not super quick out to the edge. Does manage to be effective at the college level in that aspect, although elite edge speed is absolutely going to give him some trouble. He's a big wide-bodied guy who is able to contain and control defenders once he gets his hands on them. And that's exactly what happened with Tony. I mean, he just washed Tony out of the action. Tony is one of these undersized college defensive ends that's probably going to have to stand over tackle uh, as a 3-4 outside linebacker or be used as a one-gap situational pass rusher. Tony had a terrific first game against Indiana, but – Uh, He was just handled by Duncan uh, down after down, as you said, as Maryland themselves uh, handled Penn State. And the situation for Penn State just goes from uh, bad to worse. Uh, I can tell you, uh, I'm looking here 10 minutes before we started this podcast, there was an announcement made that Journey Brown, their talented ball carrier, who uh, a lot was expected from him this season, set out the first couple of games, is going to retire from football because of a heart ailment. So, uh, I mean, that is some, some major news, not only for Penn state, but for journey Brown, a lot of people thought he could be, a lot of people had projected him as the, as the top back in this year's draft. I never did. I thought he was more of a fourth round pick regardless of that. We hope that, uh, you know, the medical outlook for him moving forward uh, is much brighter. and And this is just a situation where he can't play football, but, uh, you know, Shaka Tony got handled uh, by Duncan of Maryland on Saturday night. And now, sadly, Journey Brown is retiring from football, the running back from Penn State because of a medical heart, because of a heart condition. Well, that's that's some shocking news. I mean, I, I didn't see that. Obviously, we're setting up here to to record. But yeah, I mean, Journey Brown, you know, if, if, if it really gets bad from bad to worse here for Penn State, just kind of adding injury to insult. And, you know, it's been been a rough season in, in Happy Valley. And certainly that doesn't help the cause. But obviously, you know, the first concern here is, is for journey Brown and, and his long-term health, which, you know, is why he had to unfortunately retire from a game that, you know, I think he expected to probably be playing for another decade or so. Absolutely. Uh, and I mean, you know, with, with, with these, sometimes with these sorts of situations and I've got no inside uh, knowledge of this because this story just broke 10 minutes ago, it, it, it's because of the, the player cannot take a concussion to the chest, uh, which can cause some serious damage. I remember uh, breaking a story on that on a, uh, tight end from Northeastern when they still had a football program at the 2006 combine, I believe it was with a kid by the name of Brian Mandeville, who was 
a high, highly rated prospect, but they did a, uh, they did a quick uh, examination on his chest. They found out, Hey, he had this uh, heart issue and he had to retire from football. So, I mean, it's sad for journey Brown, obviously, uh, as you said, he was a guy uh, that people had highly rated, probably had the hopes of a long NFL career. Just hope that uh, it works out for him in, the, in his personal life and it doesn't affect him off the field. And now on to our week 11 previews. And we're going to go right back to the Pac-12. We mentioned Frank Darby before, just one catch before leaving early against USC. Coach Herm Edwards was hopeful that he'll return this week against Cal, though. If he does, he's got an intriguing matchup on his hands against cornerback Cameron Bynum. Two players with very similar size and very similar draft grades on the third day. Darby's probably a little bit faster, does have over 20 career yards per catch, which Bynum's major issue is deep speed. So on paper, despite those size similarities, it should be a spot where Darby can win, especially down the field. But everywhere else, this one really projects to be very competitive. And if Bynum can keep Darby's big plays in check, that's a good sign for his draft stock. Bynum has got terrific ball skills. I mean, he's been a good player at Cal since he was a redshirt freshman. There was talk that he was going to enter the draft last year. He decided to go back. Uh, He's physical. He's smart, as you would expect a player from Cal to be. And like I said, he's got good ball skills. Solid job making plays with his back to the ball. But he's a cornerback that's probably going to run in the mid-4-5s. He's not a guy that's a 4-4 guy. I'd be surprised. He plays anyway uh, as a 4-5-5, 4-5-6 guy. Darby, as you said, is a little bit faster. Darby's a skilled pass catcher. You mentioned the, uh, the injury last, uh, last week, I should say, against USC, which slowed him up. Hopefully that injury's healed because I'm expecting big things from Frank Darby. Uh, Darby was graded as a late-round pick. I think he's more of a mid-round choice. Some people think that Bynum is a second-day cornerback. I think he has second-day football skills, but unfortunately I think he's got late-round speed. So unless you're going to put him in a zone type system or you're going to reduce his area responsibilities and really cut down on those man-to-man situations where he can exploited down the field, could be a problem at the next level. It's going to be a good matchup. Obviously, Bynum's going to have to guard against Darby's speed, as you mentioned, and Darby's going to have to hopefully be healthy and pick up from what was a disappointing uh, season opener against USC. Now, a big matchup in the trenches this week takes us to the ACC, Miami against Virginia Tech where Hurricanes defensive ends Quincy Roach and Jalen Phillips will get a stiff challenge against Hokies left tackle Christian Darasaw, a very athletic left tackle who slides out to the edge nicely, can block in motion as well, had a day two grade entering the season. Both Roach and Phillips, two and a half sacks this season, but very active against the run. Roach is tied for fifth in the ACC with 10 tackles for a loss. So even if this duo isn't a duo of elite pass rushers, They are disruptive all-around players, and Darasaw is going to be responsible for stopping one of them on every play. Tony, do you think he'll be up to the task? He should be. I mean, Phillips and Roach are are players with contrasting styles. Phillips is more of an edge rusher, a guy who transferred from UCLA, was thrown into the spotlight at Miami when Gregory Rousseau decided to opt out of the season and prepare for the draft. So he's got that edge speed where Quincy Roach – isn't as, isn't the pure edge rusher. He's just a smart player. He, he's got he's slightly undersized, but he's strong for a size. He has a good inside move. They use him backed off the line of scrimmage. Darasaw, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the most underrated left tackle prospects in the nation. Coming into the season, I had him graded as a second, third round pick. If you go back and listen to our Virginia Tech preview, I think right now he's a solid second round prospect 
because he's a pure left tackle, the leanings are, or the belief is he's very likely to enter the draft. And why not? Because left tackles and guys who are mobile like Darisaw is and guys who can get out and block on the second level, block a motion, usually go pretty high. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be a good matchup because he's going to probably be facing either Jalen Phillips or Quincy Roche on every down throughout the game. Phillips be surprised if he enters the draft, but still he's a solid middle round pick. Quincy Roach is sort of like a Cameron Bynum in the sense that he's a real good football player. He gets the most from his ability, but like Bynum lacks speed, Roach just lacks size and strength at the point. So he's more of a situational player at the next level. The Conference USA is home to our final preview of this week's show. The Marshall Middle Tennessee State matchup pits the conference's third leading rusher, Marshall running back Brendan Knox, who has gone over 100 yards every game since the opener, a bigger back who can handle a heavy workload as he's proven this season, 22 carries per game over six games, not a ton of receiving production, but he goes up against a couple MTSU defenders in outside linebacker DQ Thomas and safety Reed Blankenship. Thomas smaller than Knox, despite the fact that he's a linebacker, good in pursuit as a run and chase type of player, but not a guy who's going to successfully take on blocks in the running game is ranked third, on the team in tackles with 51, including five for a loss, numbers that put him just behind Blankenship, who has 57 tackles on the year. Not a guy who makes plays behind the line of scrimmage, but he has decent size, definitely makes an impact against the run. Now, none of these guys are likely to be high draft picks. A couple might go undrafted. Knox could kind of sneak into the late rounds, potentially. Tony, what's the true intrigue in this matchup for you? Well, Knox is moving up draft boards. I mean, we've talked about his left tackle, Josh Ball, a couple of times in previous podcasts this season. But Knox came into the uh, came into the season on my board as a priority free agent. He's moved up into the fifth round on my board. There are some scouts that like him as a six round pick. He is just a tough, grinded out, you know, find ways to make positive yards. Not a real creative ball carrier, but someone I think could be used as a situational uh, short yardage back at the next level, someone who can spell a starter on occasion, really your number four back at the next level. He's getting a lot of momentum in scouting circles, only an underclassman, fourth year junior. Don't know if he's going to enter the draft. I haven't heard anything about that. Although there was a lot of chatter about him in scouting circles. You know, when it comes to DQ Thomas, he's basically a college linebacker with safety size. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's a run and chase type of linebacker who's more of a strong safety prospect at the next, next level, constantly around the ball, not having the greatest season in the world. I think more was expected from him. A lot of scouts graded him as a priority free agent. I don't know that that's going to happen. He may have to, it may take a while for him to sign unless he picks up his game. Reed is, has got good size and he's more of a run defending straight line safety that likes to mix it up. I was up and down last season has been okay this year. But again, they best be on their game against Brendan Knox, who's been able, who's shown the ability just to take over contests the first half of the college season. And that's it for the 161st episode of the Draft Analyst presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter. We'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back next week with more NFL draft coverage for all of you out there. But until then, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.